Lord Jesus, we trust that you are the resurrection and the life. You don't merely give it, you are it. And what we need, Lord, is you. This is true for Mary. This is true for Martha. This is true for the Jews and for Lazarus. And it is true for us. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to see more of you this morning. That God, through your word, you would cause light to shine in the darkness. And give light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. It's possible to love someone, to be deeply committed to someone's good, and yet still deeply upset at their choices. To be deeply committed to a person, to care deeply for this person, and yet be deeply upset, even angry at the choices that this person makes. One of the lies that we experience and that we encounter often is that if you are going to love someone, you have to accept someone, all their choices, and agree with them in all that they are and all that they do. You cannot be upset, you cannot be grieved at what a person says or does if you're going to be truly loving, and that's wrong. It is wrong for us to hate someone based upon what they do. But the opposite of that is not accepting everything that they do. Being apathetic and indifferent towards them is not loving either. If we are truly committed to a person's good, then when we see them making decisions and leaving their lives in such a way that leads to their harm, it is right for us to feel upset. It is right for us to feel grieved. It's right for us to feel angry, even. In John 11, 28 through 44, Jesus weeps. He sheds tears. He's deeply moved. He's upset. And the reason why he's upset is because of the unbelief that he sees in those whom he loves. The unbelief that he sees in Mary and the unbelief that he sees in the Jews, the people that he came to save. But because of his love, Jesus doesn't keep them in their unbelief. Because of his love, Jesus weeps over unbelief and works for faith. That's the main thing that we're going to see here. Jesus weeps over unbelief and he works for faith because he loves us. And to see this, we're going to see three points in this text. We're first going to see weeping of unbelief. So crying, shedding tears, weeping of unbelief. Then we're going to look at tears of love. And then we're going to close by looking at works for faith. Works for faith. Jesus does not merely get upset at the unbelief. He works for faith. He works for the faith of Mary, for Martha. He works for the faith of the Jews. And through this text, he is working for the faith of you and of me. This is our third sermon in John 11. We've been working our way through this passage, and we've known where this text is going from the very beginning. We've already seen that Jesus purposefully stays, after hearing that Lazarus was ill, he stays intentionally so that Lazarus would be dead by the time that he gets there. He purposes that people pass through pain and suffering because he loves them. 
Last week we saw that what Martha, Lazarus' sister, needs most is not for her brother to be raised from the dead. What Martha needs most is a person. It's Jesus. Not just Jesus doing things for Martha, but Jesus being someone for Martha. He is the resurrection, the life. He is the best gift that he can give. In verses 28 through 44, we see Jesus' interaction with Mary, with Martha's sister, and with the crowd of Jews who have gathered along to mourn with her. We've already read what's going to happen. Lazarus will be awakened. Jesus has said that. Lazarus has fallen asleep. He told his disciples, I go to awaken him. And he's talking there about resurrection. So Lazarus' resurrection, as surprising as it seems, is not actually surprising for those of us who are reading through the Gospel of John. Right? He will be raised. Jesus says, this illness does not lead to death. He is asleep. I go to awaken him. Us reading through the Gospel of John know what's going to happen. Which gives us a choice. When we hear Jesus say things like that, the choice that we have is, are we going to believe? Are we going to trust what he says? Martha believes, at least in part. I don't think she fully grasps, grasps everything that Jesus is saying. We'll see that here when, when Lazarus is actually going to be raised from the dead and the stone is rolled away. Martha protests and says, it's, it's been four days. He's going to stink. She doesn't fully understand, but she does fight for faith. Our passage starts off right after Jesus is interacted with Martha. Martha said to Jesus, we saw this last week, Lord, if you would have been here, this is verse 21, my brother would not have died. Mary's going to say the same thing. But Martha says, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it. She's wrestling. If you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But I trust you. I want to trust you. Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. That's good theology. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus asked point blank, do you believe this? And, Jesus sa and Martha says, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Jesus just said that to the Jews, that he is the one consecrated from the Father, sent into the world. And Martha says, I believe that's who you are. Now, I don't think she grasps the full picture of what that means. But Martha, in her pain and in her suffering and in her grief, is fighting for faith. And the way that she responds, I think, is intentionally contrasted with the way that her sister Mary responds. And the way that those who are with Mary respond. Look at verse 28, which Samson read for us. When she, this is Martha, had said this, I believe, she went and called her sister Mary and saying in private, the teacher is here, that's Jesus, and is calling for you. And when she, Mary, heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her, so there's, there's Jews around who are weeping with her, mourning with her, consoling with her. When they saw Mary rise and go quickly, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to weep there. 
She didn't hear that Jesus was calling. They think, oh, you're going to mourn at the tomb. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Full stop. When Jesus saw her weeping, verse 33, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have also kept this man from dying? Mary here says the same words of pain and grief that Martha said. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But she stops. There's no fight for faith, but Lord, even now I believe. I trust you. I don't know why this happened. I don't know how this works. She just utters words of pain. And as she weeps, she is weeping tears of unbelief. These are tears, and they're real. The emotion is there. The hurt is there. But these are tears that stem from unbelief rather than from faith. Mary is linked with the Jews in this passage. The Jews follow her. They go with her. And if we saw, she's weeping, and the Jews are weeping with her. Mary's weeping is linked with the weeping of the Jews. And this is intentional. In fact, if you go to the original Greek, that's here, the word weeping that Mary and the Jews are doing is different than the word that Jesus is doing. In English, we see weep, weep, weep. But Jesus' shedding tears is different, it's a different word, than the word that John uses for Mary and the Jews weeping. Mary and the Jews weep, klyo, but Jesus sheds tears, dakrao. His tears are different than the weeping of Mary and the weeping of the Jews. And I think John uses a different word to show this difference. What's happening with Jesus is not the same as what's happening with Mary and with the Jews. Mary and the Jews' tears are tears of hopelessness. They are weeping and mourning in unbelief. Mary utters bitter words of accusation to Jesus. The Jews question Jesus' motives could not he who opened the eyes of the blind saved this man? He must not have actually loved him like he said. If he really loved him, then he would have done something about it. Jesus doesn't love. That's what the Jews are disputing. That's what the Jews are saying, and they're weeping and crying as they say this. Imagine you have a friend who's walked through serious pain and suffering. Real grief, real pain, real suffering. And you've walked alongside them. You've helped them in their time of need. You've sacrificed your time and your energy for them. You've tried to speak words of encouragement to them. And then as they're hurting after the last thing they've gone through, they look at you and they say through tears, you don't care about me. You don't love me. And they weep. The feeling of emotion that your friend feels is real. The feeling of hurt that your friend feels is real. They feel really sad. They feel really hurt. 
They feel real pain. But their pain does not justify their words because it comes from a wrong interpretation. You do care. You've demonstrated that you care. You have a proven track record of love. Their tears are factually wrong. They're real tears, but they are factually wrong. They are tears of unbelief. Just because they feel hurt by you doesn't mean that they have been hurt by you. This is not to minimize the role of tears. People feel real emotions. People can feel offended. People can feel hurt. People can feel upset. But that doesn't mean that their emotions are grounded in what's real and what's true. This is to remind us that why we are sad is of utmost importance. If you're sad from selfishness, then your tears aren't good. If you're sad from envy and jealousy, your tears should not be rewarded. And if you're sad from unbelief, then you don't merely need to be comforted. You need to be shown what it means to trust and to believe. Mary and the Jews are weeping because they don't believe in Jesus. They are weeping in the wrong way. They're weeping what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, which John read for us. They're weeping as those who have no hope. Which leads to the next point, tears of love. Jesus weeps too. Jesus sheds tears. The problem is not with tears. The problem is not with weeping and being sad at the experience of pain. The Jews, though, misinterpret why Jesus is crying. Why does Jesus cry? Jesus weeps when? When he sees Mary and the Jews weeping. It says that he is deeply moved. This term shows up twice in our passage, once in verse 33, once in verse 38. And if you look at virtually every English Bible, the term deeply moved is there. In the NRSV, it used the term disturbed. In the KJV and NKJV, it used the term groaning. Now, we preach from the ESV. In the ESV, there's a footnote. If you look, there's a footnote and it points down and it says deeply moved or was indignant, angry, upset. And this gets it the way in which I think this word should be translated. This word only shows up a few times in the New Testament. And when it shows up, Jesus is not putting his arm around somebody and crying sympathetically. Jesus is showing up and scolding people rebuking people when this word is used. In Greek outside of the New Testament, this word is used to describe someone who's angry. The word is a metaphor for like the snorting of a horse before battle, that snorting in, upset, angry. Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, the message, we don't often quote from the message, it actually gets it very right here. Here's how Eugene Peterson translates it. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her sobbing and the Jews with her sobbing, a deep anger welled up within him. Verse 38, then Jesus, the anger again welling up within him, arrived at the tomb. Jesus is not merely sad here. Jesus is upset. 
he is angry with the way that Mary and the Jews are weeping. Now, this is not a flying off the handle anger. This is not a throwing things, yelling and shouting anger. This is a controlled, a righteous, but deeply felt anger that leads to tears of grief because of what their unbelief is going to do to them. Jesus does not weep because Lazarus is dead. Jesus does not weep merely because Mary is grieving. Jesus weeps because of why Mary is grieving. Mary's tears reveal her unbelief. She is thinking and living like the Jews around her who think that Jesus is not the hope of the world, who think that Jesus is not love itself, who think that Jesus is not the resurrection and the life. Jesus loves Mary. And so when he sees what these tears reveal about her, he is angry. To love someone is to be deeply committed towards their good. To be deeply committed towards their good. And when we see someone going in a direction that leads away for their good, it is our love for that person that responds to us feeling upset for that person. Jesus has just told Martha that he is the resurrection and the life. And yet Mary is here as if life and resurrection are not standing in front of her. Uttering words of bitterness and hurt and pain. Weeping like an unbeliever. And Jesus' love for her shows itself in being deeply upset at her unbelief. Because her unbelief is like a cancer that will kill her. It will not lead to hope. It will not lead to a future. And this passage is a reminder to us that the way in which we relate to Jesus is not one-dimensional. Many of us think that Jesus is just smiling and loving and happy with us all the time. Now, if you're a child of God, Jesus is well-pleased with you because of his own righteousness. But Jesus deeply loves Mary. He deeply loves Mary, and he is grieved and upset by Mary. Jesus is a person, and persons have a range of emotions. And it is possible for us to grieve Jesus by our unbelief in Jesus. When we give in to sin over and over and over again, Jesus is grieved. It is possible for us to grieve the Holy Spirit, Paul says. What we do and how we respond to Jesus can make him happy and delighted, or it can make him upset. We can bring him pleasure, or we can grieve him. What does Jesus weep over? He weeps over unbelief. We see that in another part of the gospel. So in Luke 19, Jesus weeps over the unbelief of the city of Jerusalem. The city that received prophets over and over and over again and would not believe and turn from their sin. Jesus weeps. And when he sees Mary and the Jews weeping because Lazarus is in the tomb as if they have no hope, he weeps as well. But do you know the good news of Jesus' tears? They don't stop with him weeping. Jesus doesn't merely weep. He works for faith. And this is our third point, works for faith. Because of Jesus' love, he weeps at our unbelief and also works for our faith. He doesn't get angry and yell and shout and storm out of the room. In his anger, he does not smite down his enemies. 
His anger with Mary moves him towards Mary so that he can work for her faith. Let's keep reading in verse 38. Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and the stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus does this work of raising Lazarus from the dead for the sake of faith. We've seen this over and over again. Jesus says to the disciples, for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there to heal Lazarus so that you may believe. Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Jesus prays publicly not because he needs to pray, but so that people can hear him praying and believe that the Father and the Son are united and that Jesus' work of raising the dead is the Father's work of raising the dead. In verse 40, Jesus provides the interpretation for what he is about to do. He is demonstrating and displaying the glory of God for all to see. And in verse 42, he prays so that those who hear him and see what's going to happen can have absolute confidence that Jesus is life itself. The focus on these verses is not on Lazarus. It's not on Lazarus coming back from the dead merely. The focus on these verses is to show through Lazarus' resurrection who Jesus is. He is who the spotlight is on. He is who the focus is on. A while ago, there was a trend, at least in my home country. I hope it stayed in my home country. I don't know if it did. There were a bunch of stories about people being declared clinically dead, right? Having visions and then coming back from being declared clinically dead, being resuscitated, and telling about what it was like to be in heaven or what it was like to be in hell for 90 minutes, for half an hour, 15 minutes. These stories were made up. They, they were fiction, right? Even some of the stories came out of how this little boy was like, yeah, my dad told me to say that. They were made up, and they were sold as sensational accounts from life after death. But people bought these books. Why? Because they wanted to hear what it was going to be like. Do you know who doesn't speak in this chapter? Lazarus. Lazarus does not utter a word. This man who is dead for four days has one job, come out of the tomb. That's it. To use the terminology of theater, Lazarus is an extra. He is a non-speaking part. He doesn't have a song and dance and solo of like, this is what it was like, hear from me. Lazarus comes out without uttering a word. Why? Because John is not concerned about stories of life after death. Life itself is standing right there for all of us to see. It's Jesus. 
And the focus of Lazarus' resurrection is on who Jesus must be if he's able to do that. This must be the one who is united with the Father consecrated and sent into the world to save the world from the sins. The one who has life in himself. That's what these stories about the afterlife, these books get wrong, is they miss Jesus. They miss the very focus of the afterlife. When we look in Revelation about what we're going to be doing in the afterlife, you know who's the center of that? Jesus. It's not these spectacular visions. It's a person. It's Christ. That's what this text is all about, is the love and mercy and grace and kindness and majesty and glory of Jesus. It's not about Lazarus. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead so that the world may know that Jesus has life in himself. He is no less than God Almighty, sharing in the divine nature with the Father and upholding the universe creating and sustaining life by the word of his power. Lazarus' resurrection is living proof to what Jesus says in John 5 already. An hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Lazarus heard the voice of the Son of God and lived. And that is grounds for your faith that today, if you hear the voice of the Son of God, like Jesus says, those who believe in him will never die. If you hear the voice of the Son of God, you may die temporarily, but it's sleep. You will live forever, enjoying his presence forever. You will not die but will have life. Why? Because the Son has life in himself. And he gives it to those who believe in him. He is the resurrection life. He came, sent from the Father into the world to be life. Life died on a cross to pay for sins so he could be resurrected from the dead and we could have life in his name. Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead so that we can believe. He works for our faith. In his love, Jesus moves towards us in our unbelief and does mighty works. Not so that we would gravitate to those mighty works, but so that we would gravitate towards him and believe. I want to close with two reflections that will hopefully help us day in and day out in the way that we live our lives. The first is, see the patience of Jesus in this passage. Jesus knows the deadly and damning consequences of unbelief better than anyone. Stephen Sharnock, an English pastor and theologian, points this out. He says, because of God's holiness, his perfection, he is infinitely more sensible of the cursed quality of sin and infinitely more detesting of it than any other person. If you have a sheet that is dirty and grimy, right, and there's a dark spot on it right in the center, you don't notice it nearly as much than if you have a sheet that is perfectly white, utterly pure, no stains at all except for that one splotch. That's the way God is with sin. 
You and I don't feel the effects of sin nearly as much as God does because we are sinful ourselves. God being perfectly holy, perfectly pure, is more aware of the grossness and the devastating consequences that sin has than any other person. And yet he is patient with us. He does not smite us down. He works for our faith. Our response should not be to look down on Mary and to say, oh, I can't believe this, Mary. In fact, Mary is going to be honored in the very next chapter and lifted up as one who saw Jesus' worth and anointed his feet with her tears. Mary, we should not look down on. Rather, what we should do is we should look at ourselves and see the countless ways that we have failed to believe in God this last week and rejoice in God's patience towards us. We should look at our friends and our neighbors around us who don't believe and praise God for his patience. Jesus has not returned because God is patient, not wanting that any should perish, but that all should come to a knowledge of the truth. See the patience of God. See the patience of Jesus. And embrace him. The second thing that we see in this passage is that to love people means that we give them what they most truly need. One of the things we talk about a lot in our membership class, in our church, is the idea of speaking the truth in love to somebody. Sometimes when we see somebody in a situation, we think, we just want to make this situation go away. If we see someone sad, we just want to make them feel better. Right? If we see someone upset, we just want to see them calm down. Right? And that can be a good instinct. But what that person needs is going to be different on why that person is in that situation. Why are they responding in this way? Someone may need not a word of comfort, but a word of reminder of truth. A kind and compassionate, not a shouting and yelling, but they may need to be challenged in their grief or in their interpretation. And they may even look at you and they may say, you don't love me if you're going to speak that way to me. But you know that because of your love for them, you speak truth in love in order to build them up so that they can turn and take hold of that which is truly life. So that they can see reality as it ought to be and not be blinded by their tears or blinded by their pain or blinded by their unbelief, but rather you've given them what they need for their good. Jesus loves like that. His love is a painful love. His love is a costly love. His love is a perfect love. And as we look at him raising Lazarus from the dead, we see Jesus in all his perfection. So that we can trust that regardless of what you go through, if you are in the sun, you will never die. You will sleep maybe. But the sun has power to give life in himself. He is what you need. Though the winds and the wave, though the hail, though the power goes out, Jesus is life itself. And he is the one that we need. 
Church, we have a Savior who loves us. In his love, he gives of himself so that we can have life in him. Let's worship the Savior today. Lord, we thank you for the perfect love that you have. Greater love knows no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus, you love us. May we take our sin and unbelief as seriously as you do. May we turn from it and repent. May we see you clearly. And may we delight in you, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.